First of all, I want to encourage you to talk back to me during this message. At least let me know you're still with me in some way, shape, or form. Make some noise. If you agree with something or something resonates with you, please feel free to let me know in the moment. Now, I realize that some people might be uncomfortable or distracted with this kind of participation, and I am sensitive to that. But, um, you know, I want to also realize that there are some people who have been literally bursting at the seams to do that through some of these services. Today, I would ask that those who are uncomfortable try and go along with this today. Um, it's an experiment, it's a learning opportunity, and we need to do these things sometimes in order to grow. I mostly, and carefully, want to encourage the kids in the room to do so. Kids, make some noise. Okay, still there. Um, because this message is for you, specifically. And it means that you need to listen as well. Now, I'm still going to try and talk to everyone, but the message is one that I really want the kids in the room to hear and think about. So I am going to try and keep it brief. I don't know how successful I will be. You see, Mandy and I got a lesson this week that everyone needs to hear so that when you are in the same situation, you can make different and maybe better choices. That's my hope, anyhow. Have you ever just messed something up? <laughs> I mean, like, totally getting something wrong. Um, yeah, okay. And, and kids, have you messed something up at some point? Okay. <laughs> so clearly, this is something pretty common. I've personally messed up many things. Uh, so many things that I don't have time in a thousand sermons to actually talk about each one. But let me ask you more specifically, have you ever messed something up by breaking it? Yeah? Okay. I've done that too, again, plenty of times. But the most memorable thing that I ever broke was when my mother, I'm sorry, my brother and I were playing catch with a pillow in the dining room. <laughs> Makes lots of sense. I was seven, he was ten, and you know, that's what seven and ten-year-olds do never thinking that something might break because we were having fun. But then it happened. I lobbed a pillow directly into one of my mother's crystal punch bowls that had been a wedding present. I watched it tip over and very completely shatter on the floor. That moment of coming from a feeling of real happiness to a moment of total horror followed by complete embarrassment and shame, has never left me. If you've broken something and felt all of that, let me hear it. Okay. It's good to know I'm not alone. <laughs> this week, I broke something a bit different. I broke a promise. I promised to myself and I promised to you to always work from a place of authenticity. When I sat down with Mandy at the beginning of this week to create a multi-generational service that spoke to access and inclusion specifically for people with disabilities, we came up with what we thought was a great idea to use a story that symbolized marginalization and what it could look like to empower someone to be true to themselves. 
but in our excitement, we missed the most important part of any message about inclusion. Actually, including people with disabilities in the decision-making about the service. With the most generous encouragement from someone with a personal stake in this conversation, both Mandy and I were able to understand that we had done the very thing that we were talking about not doing. We also were made aware that part of our mistake came from not recognizing how talking around disability using metaphors or extended symbolism is an ableist action in itself. Although they are very different kinds of hurt, this last part reminded me of the times when someone has spoken about or around what it means to be black in an effort to seem more embracing of diversity, but in the end, just making me completely invisible in the process. It doesn't work. So what do we do? How do you make something like this better? Kids. What is the best way to try to make something better when you've hurt something, hurt someone, or broken something? Any ideas? Yeah? Mm -hmm. Okay, I like that. There's something that happens before that. There it is. Simply saying, I'm sorry, is a good start. One of the most immediate ways to make something better when you've broken a promise or messed something up is to admit it and apologize. So I would like to offer an apology to those in the community with disabilities who have felt unheard, unrecognized, or not taken seriously whether during my short time here so far or in the past. I offer that apology. On behalf of Mandy, and on behalf of those of us who do not face those challenges, And those of us who either unwittingly or uncaringly continued to hurt and foster the marginalization, I am sorry. It is particularly difficult to apologize, though, when we have an elevator that is still not functioning after six weeks. Although I can say that we are much closer to having this problem solved, thanks to Carol staying on the case. That's one reason she's not here today. She worked her butt off this week. And I can tell you that the missing part is actually in the process of being manufactured. I talked to the manufacturer myself. And we expect it to be delivered within the next week. But installation of that part will take maybe another week after that, and I ask for your patience. Just the same, we shouldn't be in this situation. 
Our contractor for this work has not been responsive in the way that we have hoped or that is in line with our principles. And we are reevaluating that relationship moving forward. Here's another question for you. If an apology is given, but then someone does the exact same thing again and again, does that apology mean very much at all? Yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, it's worthless and empty. And this is the reason that we have covenant. Last week, I spoke about how covenants can keep us as Unitarian Universalists in right relationship with one another. I have entered into a covenant with you all as your minister. But I only have so much to say in all of this. Being the minister is nice, but the strength of this gathering is still all about you as a community. The most powerful covenant is the one that we say every Sunday to affirm ourselves as a community. Repeat after me, in covenant with one another, and all we hold sacred, we answer the call of love, welcoming all people into the celebration of life, searching for truth and meaning, and striving for justice and compassion to nourish and serve each other our community and our world. So I think many of us affirm commitment to inclusion in our covenant in lines like welcoming all people or maybe striving for justice and compassion. But how does that work? Isn't that a little vague? Do we actually know what all people looks like or sounds like? And just how are we defining someone else's idea of justice? Going back to that platinum rule. Why can't we name the specific value of people with specific disabilities in our community? It is a tremendous assumption to make that when someone who presents differently than you've seen before or has a different speech pattern or thought process or way of moving, that when they literally show up at your doorstep, you won't find a way to make an excuse for turning them out or completely ignoring them. It is more difficult than most of us realize. Welcoming all people, striving for justice and compassion. Another thing to consider is that focus on doing the welcoming and striving may also put some of us in the role of being the only ones who open the doors. Or worse, the gatekeepers of justice and compassion. That is the very definition of ableism. Now, I'm not saying that welcoming all people and striving for justice and compassion is a bad thing. On the contrary, it's great. But for me, it doesn't work unless we activate the other parts of the covenant, like the celebration of life and finding ways to nourish and serve each other. This is what calls on us to recognize the full range of each other's being. Yes, it may feel like more work, but the benefits to all of us far outweigh the effort. What would it mean 
to put our assumptions about convenience and expense after the needs of others and begin by showing up with joy and affirmation for everyone. There's another line in the covenant that I think is pretty important for real inclusion. It's the one that speaks of all we hold sacred. Everyone in this room has a different concept of what I will call for now sacred. Others might call it spiritual or godly or divine or maybe just precious and dear. Regardless of the word we use, this is where the covenant begins with how we hold each other in our hearts. This incredible intimacy of relationship means that we aren't called to make accommodations for people with disabilities. It means that from the very beginning, we build in the tools that are flexible and agile enough to allow us all to thrive in our lives together and in our community. So about now, you're probably wondering why I titled this message, um, Who is at the Table? I must admit, I had a different idea when I started putting this together. I have often used the metaphor of being at the table to describe the process of including all stakeholders in decision-making processes. But as I've been deeply reflecting this week, I've begun to rethink this. Who out there likes dinner? Okay. Kids, you like dinner? Okay. Good. Now, I'm going to make an assumption that somewhere out there, there are still families that sit down to dinner together. Okay. That's good to know. Uh, my own family growing up rarely did this. Uh, parents were working, school schedules, all sorts of things. Um, it only happened really on special occasions. But one of the things I do remember from when I saw this at my friends' houses was that it, was, it wasn't only mom doing all the work, although it was the 70s, so things were still pretty backward. Everyone had a job. Kids set the table, dad served or carved, etc. And in the end, clearing up and washing dishes was also a group effort. Being at the table wasn't about being invited to simply sit down and enjoy the meal. No. Being at the table was about having a steak, pun intended, in the meal. So, kids, remember that the meal with your family is a shared experience. I'm trying to do a little work for you parents out there. With a shared outcome. Everyone gets fed, and everyone creates the community of the meal. Be sure to do your part. Shouldn't this be the kind of table we want to talk about? There's another perspective on this expression of being at the table that may be useful. I've been doing some research on the song, I'm going to sit at the welcome table, which we will sing at the end of this service. The spirit with which you use tend to sing this song is one of joy and acceptance. We also frame it in our Tapestry of Faith curriculum in terms of the Mullah Nasruddin Islamic folktale, where Nasruddin ends up feeding his coat because it seems that the beautiful coat was more welcome at the table than he was when he was dressed in his work clothes. 
But we can't forget that this song was also used during the Civil Rights Movement. Freedom Riders would sing this song and multiple variations of the lyric while they sat in at segregated lunch counters. We're at the welcome table. That changes things a bit. This framing reflected the slave origins of the lyrics that speak of being able to sit at the forbidden table and also spoke of the judgment that slave masters would face in the afterlife. Some of the original versions of the lyric are literally about turning the tables on injustice. It is a table of defiance against oppression. When we sing the song today, try holding that feeling in your heart. I'm convinced that we need to be cultivating both of these tables when we explore our relationship with people with disabilities in this community. We must look for the authentic and specific contributions that everyone can bring, and in doing so, we set our table as an act of defiance against a status quo that pushes people with disabilities away from the table and even out of the room. Because of our covenant, the act of welcoming cannot be a simplistic, easy, breezy, let's all have brunch kind of welcome. It must be the welcome that is for the whole self, for all of us, and it takes work. So I said before that an apology is only as good as the next time a hurt happens. And I want to hold myself and hold this community to that. Mandy and I and the whole staff recognize that we are still very much so in a learning and growing phase, settling into the new rhythm of a new ministry, understanding some new structures as to how we can work together as well. But what we also recognize is that the work of active inclusion of people with disabilities and differing abilities of all kinds must be done at all times. It is not an option. <laughs> to that end, we are seeking members of this community who are willing to be the authentic voices around accessibility and inclusion. We not only want your involvement, but we need it to do this right. What we would like to do is bring together a covenanted group to advise and guide the congregation and learn the best way to move forward, living into the covenant that we say every Sunday. Like our block structure below, we may not recognize what we are building at this point. It may be a tower, or it may be a bridge, or something else altogether. It's going to take time to understand. And I encourage you all to spend some time with the blocks after service, looking at them, thinking about my words, touching them or talking about them, and thinking creatively and openly about what we can build together and what that means for you personally. We are going to continue to make mistakes. Someone is going to toss a pillow at the punch bowl and it's going to break. And your leadership team is going to have an even more brilliant, yet equally totally insensitive idea. <laughs> but the beauty of what we already have is that 
there are ways for us to call one another back into covenant. We have ways to recognize when we have done wrong and to actually receive the message from one another. As long as we continue to bring these clarifications to one another from the position of love, as long as we remember to hold each other as sacred, to celebrate one another, and to strive to nourish and serve one another, we can make this right. And if you are concerned about our capacity to live fully into what we say we believe regarding access and inclusion, I would challenge you instead to understand that we, cannot, that we can't afford not to live fully into our commitment to access and inclusion. May it be so.